Wilderness Path, a novel by Mary Jane Schneider. Chapter six, New Canaan. Her apron filled with turnips, Hannah Weaver struggled to keep her shawl over her shoulders as she slid along the ice-covered path from the root cellar to her house. With her eyes fixed on the path, she almost bumped into the stranger facing her. Tall and young, his long hair shoved carelessly inside his cap. He steadied himself with a shovel. Beat, my first night alone in my new home and I let the fire go out. He shifted the shovel from one hand to the other. Can you give me some hot coals? Looking up uncertainly, Hannah was suddenly flustered by his friendly open stare. Ah, you must be the new priest. The new priest, she thought. He looks more like a teasing brother than a priest. Are you as absent-minded as Father Johann? Where is he? Paul Schultz died suddenly in the night. He is with the family. Thomas put his shovel down and looked at the young woman, staring at him with her large, brown, mysterious eyes. Her wool cap fram framed her face and showed just a fringe of her dark brown hair. Not a child, but with a charming innocence and yet an elusive sense of balance about her. He felt strangely stirred. Not at all the feelings of a priest. Young woman, you have me at a disadvantage. Obviously you know who I am, but I do not know who you are. We are the weavers, Father Johann's neighbors, but it's too cold to stand out here and these turnips are heavy, come inside. The house had the welcome smell of hot cider and baked beans. Rows of cooking tools were hung, straight and shining at the fireplace. Scrubbed and polished, the plank floor shone in the firelight. Thomas shook his boots and took off his coat and gloves. The cabin was warm, not only with the glowing fire, but with a woman's touch. He saw dried herbs hanging from the rafters and mounds of wool filling the baskets by the spinning wheel. Thomas thought of his home in Moselkern and the smell of his mother's bread. For a moment, he longed to be there. Peter rose. Ah, our new priest has arrived. Come, sit down by the fire and get warm. Hannah interrupted her father. Actually, you are not our new priest. We are Mennonites, not Catholics. But her father added, we are Father Johann's good neighbors. Lo, these ten years. He introduced his family. This is my wife, Elizabeth, my son, Joshua, my daughter, Hannah. Elizabeth poured a mug of cider and spooned a helping of baked beans from the kettle into a trencher on the table. Here, she paused. Father Thomas Yeager, newly arrived and hungry. Peter laughed. Elizabeth has been feeding Father Johann for years. She'll take good care of you too. You priests should have wives, Elizabeth said. We Mennonites are more sensible. Thomas Yeager came to Father Johann's home with the eagerness of a young child on an adventure. The new priest's questions filled the cabin with conversation and activity. Even after Johann gathered up his scattered books and papers, they constantly bumped into each other in the crowded room. No need to share the bed, Thomas said. I'll sleep in the loft. 
Thomas brought in water, chopped wood, shoveled manure, and took fresh straw to the horses. He repaired the sagging stable, stitched the harnesses, mortared the chimney. He went hunting with his neighbor Joshua. They came back with venison for both homes. Following Elizabeth's instructions, he attempted to bake rye bread. After all, we priests must learn to cook for ourselves. When evening came, he listened as Johann read his favorite psalms, sing joyfully to God, all the earth. I think that describes this cabin. Johann had viewed this new priest's coming with grudging acceptance. After all, this was the archbishop's idea, not his. He had planned to tolerate him, but in spite of the noise and confusion, he could not help but like him. The sky was gray and the air cold, a penetrating bone-chilling cold that hinted of snow. Thomas had spent the day chopping wood and storing it by the door. He had given the horses extra water and stuffed the cracks in the stable with corn shocks. By late afternoon, the snow had started to fall in tiny windswept flakes. Keep the fire blazing in the schoolhouse and heat the cider, Johann said. We will need the warmth after we celebrate our Christmas Eve mass in the cold chapel. Christmas Eve mass, Thomas thought. Johann is carrying his love of tradition too far. What kind of mass will celebrate the birth of Christ's child with just two of us in an unheated chapel? But in the evening dusk, Thomas saw the faint glow of torches. Neighbors were gathering at the chapel, not many, but a handful bundled in their warmest clothes, carrying their young children. Father Johann looked at Thomas. Our people will come in spite of the snow. Christmas Eve mass at the cathedral in Heidelberg cannot compare with this. Christmas morning. Even though the winter sun had not yet sent its first pale rays through the bare trees, Elizabeth was up, stirring the fire, rousing a sleepy Joshua from his bed in the loft. We need more wood before we leave for the meeting house. This was Elizabeth's special day, a day of bounty and blessing, a day when the rabbit stew was set aside, when the precious and tender ham made the meal a real feast day. And she was the provider of the feast. Ham, baked beans, apple pie, hot cider, all care carefully prepared for a festive and well-laden table. Even the brief morning service in the cold meeting house was just an interruption before the real Christmas, the afternoon meal, with her family gathered round. There would be her son, Jacob, and his wife, Esther, and their children, Benjamin and Susan, Hannah, and of course, Peter. Only Joshua would be missing, for he would visit his betrothed, Rebecca Gaiman, and her family. As part of the years of Christmas tradition, Father Johann and now Thomas would join them, a lovely crowded gathering. We'll need to bring in the bench from the porch to get it warm. She called to Joshua as he headed out the door. Walking home from the meeting house, Elizabeth thought about her dinner. The food was warm in their iron kettles among the ashes. 
only the Christmas cakes had to be rescued from their hiding place in the loft. She hoped Father Johann would remember to bring his trencher. Helping her mother set the table, Hannah listened for Thomas and Johann. Thomas in their home for the Christmas meal. She sensed she would feel as shy and tongue-tied as she had in their previous meetings. When she took some of their fresh sausage over to Johann's cabin, she could hardly respond to the young priest's questions about their crops and the way they prepared the flax for spinning. When Thomas came over to their cabin to learn how to make rye bread and corn pudding, she had stayed in the shadows as Thomas had followed her mother around the room. I hear that you kept Father Johann alive when he first arrived, Thomas told her mother. Hannah questioned why she felt so shy around him. He was the same age as Jacob, a priest. She had not ever considered that a preacher would be young and full of questions. Their Mennonite preacher was a solemn farmer with serious words from his Bible, not a young man who wanted to know how to make corn pudding. Hannah stopped her work as the cabin door opened. Jacob and Esther came first, with Benjamin and Susan on the wood sled. Almost at the same time, Johann and Thomas arrived, also pulling a sled. Make way for the corn pudding, Thomas shouted as he entered, carrying the heavy kettle. He seemed to pay no attention to Hannah, who was helping Benjamin with his coat. Hardly waiting for them to take off their coats, Elizabeth stood at the table, spoon in hand. Kumesa. After the blessing, Hannah moved to a low stool by the fire and shared her trencher with her young nephew, Ben. As they ate, she could not see Thomas, but was aware of his voice as he talked to Jacob about his farm. Ben had barely finished his meal when he begged his Aunt Hannah to go sledding. The hill by the barn is just right. Hannah agreed. I'll go with you and watch. While Esther cleared the table and Susan sat with her grandmother on the settle by the fire, Hannah searched for her boots. Jacob reached into the pile of coats. Here, wear my coat, Hannah, he said. You'll need to tramp down the snow first. Let me help, said Thomas as he rose to find his coat. I have big feet. Laughing, the three headed for the barn with the wood sled. Ben, Ben in the lead. Making this path is hard work, Hannah said as she paused with her shovel. She shook out the snow off her gloves and unwrapped her scarf from her face. Thomas stopped as well, while Ben took the sled to the top of the hill. Your mother has made this a wonderful Christmas for me, said Thomas, my first Christmas away from home. He pounded the shovel into the snow. Part of me is still a little boy who wants to be home for Christmas. This is why my mother fusses so much over Christmas. She needs something of her own to replace the sad memories of the family she left behind. We've had no letters from them in four years. We don't even know if my grandmother is still alive. Hannah turned toward Thomas. I think about Mary giving birth to baby Jesus so far from her home. Maybe my mother thinks about that too. The sled came hurtling down the hill, but it had a mind of its own and missed the path completely. A blur of sled and snow brushed their legs. 
Ben called, come on, it's just right. Ben and Thomas got on the sled and went down the hill together. Thomas's long legs wrapped around the boy. On their third try, they plowed into a snowbank. Laughing, Ben and Thomas untangled themselves and shook off the snow. A voice came from the cabin. Ben, time to go home, called his father. The cabin was suddenly quiet after Jacob left with his family. We have one more tradition, said Peter. Johann and Hannah recite our favorite passage from the prophet Isaiah. Father Johann stood by the fire with Hannah at his side. He began, Get thee up unto a high mountain, thou that bringest good tidings to Sion. Hannah added, Lift up thy voice with strength, thou that bringest good tidings to Jerusalem. Thomas joined them. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Johann added a final blessing. Lord, today you have brought us good tidings of great joy. For that we are thankful. Amen. When Hannah opened her eyes, she found Thomas looking at her, a mixture of sadness and happiness on his face. Filling her warming pan at bedtime, Hannah thought about Thomas. She knew she would always remember this Christmas because of a priest who made corn pudding, who fell into a snowbank, and who looked at her in the firelight. When the spring mud was dry on the trails, Johann and Thomas traveled to the Skipback and west to the Skokul to meet their Catholic families. Johann watched Thomas delight each family as he struggled to remember names and ages and who was related to whom. He felt the young priest's sincere love of the words of Christ when they said mass together. As the spring sun brought its warmth, Thomas offered to help Joshua with the plowing. They took turns urging the ungainly oxen and guiding the heavy wooden plow around the tree stumps. Filling their grain bags with flax seeds and corn kernels, they scattered them in the muddy fields. Later, Thomas planted Elizabeth's spring onions. Bringing him water, Hannah smiled to see him covered with mud. He took the gourd from her hands. I love working in the fields and planting a garden. You have captured my mother's heart with your cooking and now with your planting. She is a lonely woman, Hannah. She has lost one daughter and now sees her only daughter grown, ready to marry and move away. He looked intently at her as he returned to the gourd. I miss my mother. I know she is lonely too. Mama is sick with the fever again, so I cooked dinner. Here are some sweet potatoes, said Hannah as she entered Father Johann's cabin. She took off her shawl. She wanted me to thank Thomas for helping Joshua with the plowing and for planting her onions. Sitting by the fire, Thomas was holding a slate and an English Bible in his lap. Hannah, I am Father Johann's oldest and most reluctant pupil. 
Hannah emptied her basket. English is not so hard, especially with a good teacher like Father Johann. You know English? Of course, Father Johann taught you. He handed her his slate. Can you help me? Perhaps I can help you on Sabbath afternoons. We do not work then, not even spinning, she said. I'll ask Mama. Although Elizabeth hesitated, Peter urged her to let Hannah visit with Johann and Thomas. She hasn't been able to use her English for years. This will give her good practice. On Sabbath afternoons, Hannah came with her basket. Thomas was ready with his slate, the old almanacs, and Father Johann's English Bible. Patiently, patiently, Hannah and Johann helped him with the strange-sounding English words, kettle, fireplace, blacksmith, hammer, river. Hannah did not feel the strangeness with Thomas as she did before. She was the teacher, just as Father Johann had been her teacher. Thomas was her pupil. Although he was a priest, he was like a little child, stumbling through awkward words. This is like old times, Father Johann said. How I have missed teaching you and talking with you, Hannah. You gave my life a purpose, you know. I was angry with God for sending me here, but he gave me you. But all was not English words each Sabbath. As Johann napped in his chair by the fire, Thomas and Hannah shared their childhoods. Thomas told her about his younger sister, his boyhood hunting adventures. Hannah talked about her lessons with Father Johann. He always had wonderful stories when he got back from his travels. Sometimes their conversation would turn to religion. Why did you become a priest, Thomas? Thomas hesitated. Don't laugh, but when I was about 14, I went into the woods to hunt for deer and became completely lost. I wandered around going deeper as I walked. I began to panic. Then I remembered my mother praying. She would say that God is a present help in time of trouble. I got down on my knees and asked her God to help me find my way home. Calmer, I eventually found the path, but it was dark when I reached my house. My mother had been praying for my safety. At that moment, I began to sense that God was leading me more than just out of the woods. He laughed. But at the university, my classes were not easy for me. Many time I felt that I was lost in the woods again. He shifted in his chair, but we are not studying my English words. On another Sabbath afternoon, Hannah asked Thomas about his decision to come to Penn's Woods. I suppose it was for the adventure. After my ordination, I had serious doubts that I was fit for the priesthood. But when Father Marcus told me about being a priest in Penn's Woods, I felt that God was leading me here. I told my mother I would stay for five years. And will you go back home then? Hannah asked. Thomas put another log on the fire. How could I leave Father Johann? But I cannot stay and not know English. Father Johann insists. At times, Thomas would be gone, a mass to be said in Morleton, a new family to welcome in Hereford, 
We must let our Thomas spread his wings, Father Johann told Hannah. He is so eager to learn about everything. He wants to visit Maria Miller, the mountain healer known as Die Bergfrau, who lives beyond the Colebrook Road. He took her basket, warm with baked beans. Don't look so disappointed, Leibkin. We both know that he will be leaving us someday, he sighed. After all, that is why he was sent here. On their final afternoon together, the discussion turned to Hannah. They did not know it would be their final afternoon together until later, but even without that knowledge, their time together had a sense of urgency. You and Father Johann know what God is calling you to do, Hannah said. I wish I could feel that same way. I listen to our preacher's sermons every Sunday, but I don't find any special word for me. I am a woman. We do not go on adventures. We stay home, get married, and have babies. But that is a precious gift from God, Johann said. We may go on adventures, but being a parent is a gift a priest will never have. My mother has my life all planned, Hannah continued. She wants me to marry Daniel Schultz. He has a large farm and will build me a fancy house. She got up, but I don't want to marry Daniel. All he talks about is his crops and weather. I want to marry someone like my papa, someone I can talk to, someone to give my heart to, someone strong and adventurous like my papa. She turned to face the priests. Who is that someone? I don't know. But looking at Thomas, at that moment, she thought she knew. Turning abruptly toward the door, she reached for her shawl. I must go home. It is getting late. I have stayed too long. She opened the door and was gone. And so the subtle romance has begun. The first time I read this book, I I am ashamed to say that I didn't even pick up on reading chapter six about the developing um, kindredness between Hannah and Father Thomas Yeager. And uh, MJ seems to drop his title father in this chapter, and he is repeated over and over as Thomas Yeager. And so a few things that there there. There weren't many synchronicities uh, from in this chapter that bled through into my life directly. Um, however, I am, and it is endearing to hear how the the separation between the Catholics and Mennonites did not destroy the relationship that was rooted between Father Johann and. The, the Weaver family, I, I appreciate that the, the land and the adventure and planting and basic human needs became the roots and the foundation, and it, it, is, it is showing, MJ is showing, how those human connections are stronger than adherence to this faith over that faith. And even if those faiths separate the community, um, they don't, they don't, they're not separating this family with, um, 
with the with the original Catholic priest, um, Father Father Johan. There we go. Uh, it's hard to keep all the characters straight sometimes. So yeah, so I like that theme in this chapter, and it feels really relevant and important to me because growing up, um, I grew up Pentecostal, and then there was a real bias against the Catholic faith um, that I was taught. I was taught that Catholic faith is not at all Christianity, um, or that it's a false Christianity. Um, and then, you know, even I think in possibly in the spirit of just teaching the differences between um, a bias started to come up against any religion that wasn't um, evangelically based because um, Pentecostalism is an evangelically based religion and so there was even um, there was an e there was even a reason to not adhere to any of the Mennonite um, teachings and and really there was there was no encouragement to explore these other religions except for to delineate the differences and to create separation and to say that this faith was the most true and this church's teachings was the most true. Uh, so I really appreciate that the priests were welcomed into the Mennonite home and that they celebrated Christmas together and how MJ shows the, the, base, the basis of human connection that that spirit of connection can outrun and outlive any of the developing separations that are coming as this new world is developing. I'd also noted this time around reading the book to reading the book out loud to to you that I MJ throws a wink and a nod into the first chapter where we're introduced to the hunter, the native young man who later reveals his name as Wandering Deer. And here, going back, remembering Thomas Yeager coming coming into his place with Father Johan um, in Penn's Woods, he saw a native person putting a log on a fire and they had a connection between their eyes, a very window to the soul kind of connection. Um, and I often wondered if that was um, Wandering Deer because she now makes this reference in this chapter about how Father, uh, I'm sorry, how Thomas Yeager had found he found God or his spiritual self kind of blossomed when he was hunting for deer and got lost in the woods and how that from that moment on he had a compass he had a north point and compass for where and how to um, contact his the the more spiritual part or the spiritual part of his being and lastly, in chapter six, we are introduced to the character Maria Miller, the mountain healer known as Die Bergfrau, who lives beyond the Colebrook Road. And this is one of the heights of synchronicity as I was reading this book to my daughter and as my beloved was reading the book to both of us, that we lived at the bottom of that mountain 
and at, and there is now a road called Mountain Mary Road up in that area. Um, it is now called, it's, it's Bechtelsville, Pennsylvania, and um, so the, the location that Thomas Yeager is going to go visit is the location, the very general vicinity, I mean, you know, within 10 miles from where we were living. And so this prompted quite the research about the, the area, the land and the geography, and then also it prompted the research about uh, Mountain Mary. And I had never heard of Mountain Mary growing up for all the years that I grew up in Boyertown, which is right next to Bechtelsville. Um, and so I was so curious because I went on to study social work and then to become a therapist and then to study uh, different modalities and more native or um, origin uh, modalities for healing, like the medicine wheel, um, shamanic practices, um, Celtic paganism, and all of those healing practices. And I think I'll add that uh, I, there is a dog in the house where I am recording this. So from time to time, you might hear a whimper in the background. And uh, when she starts barking at the mailman, I generally can cut and stop <laughs> my recording and I'll have to re-record uh, or stop and pause until the mailman or the, the leaf blower or whomever passes by. Uh, so I'm going to hold all of the passion and excitement and desire for sharing that I have about Deberg Frawl for after the next chapter, after MJ Schneider gets to give her whole chapter about Deberg Frawl first. And then I'll add because I, I, I sense that I have quite a bit to share, um, not just about Mountain Mary, but the immense amount of synchronicities that, that showered me as I came into and and settled in and, and made home in the area five miles from her her house like where the the foundation of her house is still at um and just how i mean the, the name mary is pretty common but there happened to be quite a few marys that you know including mj herself that popped up um all at the same time in a in a related fashion um and it you know it, it catapulted me down a journey of further deepening my own healing practice and how I wanted to root what I offer to other people and how I serve humanity how I wanted to anchor that in in my own blood and bones I had previously or last year I had been in Belgium learning about some of my ancestral roots and you know thousands of years ago where did the people my people come from and what were their practices so uh, this is a very exciting synchronicity and I could keep talking more and more about it but I want to just wait and share details um, until after chapter seven so thanks for listening and again um I'm hoping to bring in extra revenue through this audiobook recording and you can hopefully soon 
um, if not already, I've been able to monetize the Spotify platform and um, be able to bring in revenue per episode. But um, Spotify requires a certain number of listeners. So the more people you can share this with so that my listener base is up high enough that I can monetize and bring in revenue, that would be super helpful for the goal and the mission of reprinting these books. Um, And or you can go to my Patreon account, patreon.com backslash loved by the water. And there you can find this podcast as well as a podcast I do with my beloved about um, functional intimacy and um, the esoteric sciences that help us relate to each other and to our insides the interior interior of our being um, and you'll also find songs that um, I've written and share just simple songs little catchy tunes um, and there are other things oh there's another project that I have on my patreon so once you join my patreon you'll be supporting this but you'll have access to a bunch of other things if you're curious to um, partake and share in other curious create creations that I'm involved with. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining this mission and being a part of uh, what I believe to be, um, which is why I'm doing this, which is what I believe to be is a very special historical fiction. Um, not only does it come from where I grew up and did it anchor much deeper in last year in my life, Um, but I believe there's a certain magic in this historical fiction that touches on some really deep roots that are tied into the land that was settled upon by the European um, white folk. And there's there's a lot right now in our culture and society that is screaming for healing. And I believe we can take a very gentle approach to to this kind of collective trauma by coming back and just I mean there's lots of ways but I I even feel that just reading this kind of historical fiction and getting into the minds and the bodies of of who and what was occurring in the earliest days is a is a way to open the mind and to open avenues in the in the brain uh, for thinking about other topics related to the roots of some of the quote injustices that are occurring today and I say quote injustices because I don't I don't like to use that word as a catch-all for you know the very specific hurts that different people different groups of people feel Um, yeah and so for yeah, so I'll, I'll just end there. But so for the for the grace of humanity, I believe that this little historical fiction has a lot to offer um, if you're open-minded and open-hearted while reading it. So thank you for listening. Thanks for checking out my Patreon and or supporting um, the, the recording on Spotify and joining me in a mission to get these books reprinted and to get them in more people's hands. Who, who are interested in bringing their hearts and their minds to MJ Schneider's magic.
Goodbye.